Good afternoon and welcome to the Bright Influence Podcast. This is a show that I created to help others feel like there could be a good influence or influences, in this case, in their life. Someone who is safe, trustworthy, and is actually doing the things or has done the things he is asking someone else to do. He or she, in this case, it's going to be a he. I grew up without much of a light myself or a guide to follow, so it's been my mission to be that light for others. No matter your age, background, political views, or beliefs, I feel like it is my mission to help bridge the gap in this world because a large majority of us actually want the same things. We want to be seen, heard, appreciated, challenged, and fulfilled at the end of the day. To be on this earth and to be me, and as I've seen from my wonderful guests that I'll have on, to be them is the way that I and we can give others and thousands of others at this point, permission to fully embrace and find themselves on this journey that we call life. Everyone's ultimate form is an art and is worth paying attention to. So it is my job to create this podcast and to write this book that I'm going to eventually write to help you cultivate the best version of you. Today, in the relatable role model section, uh, I bring on Russell Kennedy, who's a really good friend of mine at this point, and I'm so thankful that we connected. He has an MBRX program that is wonderful to help you deal with anxiety in a way that is unique and that is different. And I'm going to allow him to explain that. We have a really good podcast coming up for you guys. He also has the Anxiety RX book that has turned into a number one, I believe, on Amazon. In what category, Russ? Uh, it was in psychiatry, number one, and in medical autobiographies. Speaks for itself. It's so cool. And then he has the Anxiety RX podcast as well. He has taken some time off and then he is joining me again and I had taken some time off as well. So bear with us if we're a little rusty in our conversation today, but I am so thrilled to have you on. But more importantly, I'm so thrilled to just be a friend with you in your life because we have had the privilege of working with, I think just the two of us, probably hundreds of people at this point deep and uh, going to the levels that we would like to see them get to because that's really all we're looking for is for them to see it in themselves. So thank you so much for being here today. Hey, you're welcome, man. It's good to it's good to see you. Good to chat with you. It's great. Oh man. Um, so okay, so we got a couple of questions that we're gonna try and go through. We're gonna keep this at about 35 minutes. And so uh, because I have a lot of respect for him and things that he's done. Uh, my first question for you is anxiety, depression, and ADHD. I wrote them down so we can have a good okay. flow today. Sure. And so many illnesses have been diagnosed at a much higher rate nowadays. Why do you think that is? Well, I think most mental illness comes from some form of separation, you know, separation from your parents, separation, you know, separation from yourself is probably the biggest one. And if we don't get the care, love and attention and attachment as children that we need, we start learning that life is about being reactive to a situation rather than just being able to flow with it, which over the course of time, I think just starts to create you know, mental nervous system dysregulation, autonomic system dysregulation. And we just, we, it's very difficult to think in a, in an opposition to how your body feels. So if your body feels activated, you're going to think in that way. And I think with COVID, I think with just in the last probably five or 10 years, even before COVID, we were getting more and more separate from each other the political situation in the States, all that kind of thing. Like I'm Canadian, so I watch it from afar. But it's still, you know, as a human being, it's still hard to watch when you see so much separation. And separation is the genesis of, you know, mental dysregulation, which is the genesis of mental illness. 
So I, I talk a lot about this myself too, where it's yeah. like, if you're distant from yourself, like if you have this, I, I call it like an internal soul or internal dialogue. It's like, Hey man, we're on the same team. Can you speak from here instead of, you know, I, I used to say when we were kids, there's like this direct line, you know, it's like, it's just whispering us and like, Hey, say this. And you're like, Hey, what the heck? And yeah. then as you get older, there's that disconnect. And so I'm, I was excited to bring you on too. Cause my first episode of this season was on anxiety. I was like, perfect. Let me have on the expert or a expert in the field so he can rebuke the things that I've said, which is totally fine. And, or we can double down on it. And so, yeah, I'm, I've been there with the disconnect. And so I guess my question is, as you're seeing this disconnect in people, are you encouraging them to find the connection in themselves first? Or are you talking to them about like what they see maybe with, because if there's political COVID, there's, you know, even dysregulation, maybe within the family, when someone comes to you personally and they're like, I'm feeling this, this, and this, where do you try to start? I guess when someone is coming to you with a problem in this world right now. Yeah. Usually what I'll do is I'll start with where they feel the anxiety in their body. That's usually where I'll start because that's really the genesis of all of this. So there's a part of our brain called the insula and the insular cortex is part of the brain that kind of um, joins the mind and the body together and the body with the mind. So it kind of acts as a translator or a negotiator between the two. So when we're children, if we have a certain trauma, you know, abuse, loss, neglect, abandonment, bullying, whatever it is, there's part of us that separates from ourselves. We start judging, abandoning, blaming, and shaming that part, what I call jabs. So when we judge, abandon, blame and shame ourselves we split from ourselves and that's often people will call that the inner critic and that voice inside of us keeps us separate from ourselves so to heal we have to rejoin specifically with the younger part of ourselves that got lost in that shuffle so if you grow up in an attached caring environment you learn that life is about connection and relationships if you grew up in a family where there's trauma, alcoholism, drug abuse, abuse, neglect, abandonment, whatever, you learn that life is about survival and your autonomic nervous system tunes itself to whatever you learned as a child. So if you learn to live with trauma, your autonomic nervous system is tuned to be always on the lookout for some mm -hmm. problem or some issue. And if there isn't any issue in your life at that point, your mind will find one. That's the thing about you know, being outside of present moment awareness is that you can always go into your past and into your and into your projected future. So that's one of the blessings and the curses about being a human being is that we can, through our imagination, go into the past and go into the future mm -hmm. and takes us out of the present moment. And when we get out of the present moment, we lose our connection with ourselves. We lose our connection with our loved ones. And that separation leads to more and more physical dysregulation in our body. So what I start with with people is like, where do you find the alarm? I call anxiety alarm in your body. Like, where is it? You know, for me, it's in my solar plexus. A lot of people it's in their heart or their chest or their throat. So where do you find it? And then what character does it have? Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it sharp? Is it dull? Is it painful? Is it a pressure? Is it superficial? Is it deep? Like really finding it. And that's again, this insular cortex and the deep, deep part of our brain kind of makes this mental picture and the physical symptoms that go along with that, mm -hmm. which is probably so probably now when you're stressed, you probably feel the same way as when you're kind of at your dad's hospital bedside. 
Right. You know, it's like you go back and your 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 insula, your brain makes this what I call emotional signature of that feeling. And that's the same feeling you have today. Like and an emotional timestamp. Exactly. And then when your mind reads that emotional signature in your body, it creates exactly the same thoughts you had at the same at the time you had the original wound. So, you know, the thoughts are going to be different because you're an adult now, but anything that stresses you out is going to come and and into your environment and into your awareness and have more salience and more resonance. The negative aspects will have more salience and resonance because now that resonates with this old pain that's been reignited in your body. So even if you're not necessarily in that same location, which obviously we aren't, you know, I'm currently in a room, you're currently in a room in your house and we're safe, but even our bodies and our minds are capable of going to that place. And then our bodies will take on that physical presence, that physical feeling. Is that why you give it a cold, hot, warm, sharp, you know, because is it trying to give it a characteristic? Because if it has a characteristic, then it's something that you can deal with. Like if it's cold, are we, are you trying to warm it up? Are you trying to give them an image or a metaphor in this case, almost to feel their way through it? Because people probably haven't tuned in. I'm, I remember when you and I worked together for the, one of the first times right. when I called you, I was going through it, you know, we were friends and I was like, Hey man, going through it. You're like, where do you feel it? And, yeah. and, and you seem to be very good at being in tune. That's something, if you guys have never worked with Dr. Russ, um, he was like, you know, for me, I think I'm hearing it in your, and I think you said, you pointed right. out like in my throat. And I was like, yeah, it's like, like on the left side, like right here. And I feel it. Um, but the, I, I is for, I'm an athlete. So I'm used to feeling a small shift in my right calf that I need to change this degree to help give myself a better angle. I'm used to tuning into my body. So when you asked me what I was feeling, it was easy for me for someone who's not used to kind of checking in and probably has dysregulated themselves and disconnected from themselves a long time ago. Anyways, is that why you're giving it a cold, warm, sharp, something to kind of help guide them and to help to find this? Yeah. The more, the more you can feel it and the more, parameters and characteristics that you can isolate in that feeling of alarm, the more we can start to change it, the more we can become aware of it. And again, it's a subcortical, like below the level of the cortex, below the thinking mind. This is where, this is where these, these programs are housed. So you can talk about this. You can go to therapy all you want, but unless you start dealing with the somatic, the actual feeling mm -hmm. of it, and mm -hmm. going back into the feeling, going back into that feeling of, you know, your dad isn't coming back, you know, and being able to kind of bring that into awareness, then you can start chipping away at it, then you can start dealing with it. But if you just start talking about it, yeah, sure, what you went through with your dad was horribly painful, for sure. But if you don't allow yourself to feel it, you know, there isn't a little a saying that I really like, it's you got to feel it to heal it. Mm -hmm. So you've got to feel it to heal it, to be able to change it. So we can do psychotherapy, like I said, as long as we want, but unless we actually deal with that somatic component. And luckily enough, we are able to kind of isolate this in our bodies if we, if we direct our attention to it. Because a lot of times when we feel anxious, we go up in our heads, we start worrying, we start ruminating, we start projecting ourselves into this horrible future. Mm -hmm. And we lose the present moment, which is where we can actually make changes in this old program. So we have to do it at a feeling level. We can't just do it at a thinking level. 
Thinking level stuff is important. Absolutely. Understanding where it comes from. Absolutely. But until you develop the, the framework, the groundwork, the foundation in your body to be able to change this, which changes the insula, which changes your whole um, autonomic process, that you start feeling more calm in your body. And when you start feeling more calm in your body, you can start processing these old wounds. But if you're always in this kind of low-grade fight or flight, you can't change those underlying subcortical below the level of the thinking mind. You can't change those processes because their language is feeling. It's not thinking. So you're trying to change a feeling component of your system with a thinking solution. And, and I say that doesn't work. You can't change a feeling problem with a thinking solution. <laughs> I feel like I see a lot of, uh, and for those who don't know, he's bringing up my father um, as he passed away three years ago. And then I would be at his bedside for a 20 year period when he was paralyzed. Um, and I do believe you had something with your father as oh, well. My dad was schizophrenic. Yeah. My dad okay. was, you know, so it was kind of, we both lost our fathers at a relatively young age. I think you were 10. Is that mm -hmm. what you, yeah. So I, I was around there 10, 11, 12. I can't remember exactly because my dad's, issues weren't you know catastrophic and physical like yours were my dad was like psychotic at points and mentally ill so and then he'd be fine again so he'd be okay for you know 12 to 18 months at a time but then he would always lapse back into either a deep like psychotic suicidal depression or into mania where he'd be up for three or four days so it's really you know we both kind of lost our dads in different ways but the effect is still the same. It's still like destabilized our, you know, autonomic nervous system, which, and, and you will think exactly in parallel to how you feel. So if you feel like you're in low grade fight or flight, which you were for quite a while, mm -hmm. your thoughts are going to reflect that. And then probably what's worse in a way is that you will attribute the issue to your thoughts. And it's not actually your thoughts. Your thoughts are the byproduct of this old programming that's held in your body. So we have to change the programming in your body. And we do that by changing the feeling system. We change that by, by looking at different ways that you interact with this anxiety or alarm. You know, the guys like Tony Robbins, I, I made a memory or um, a reminder on my phone back in 2015 when I was over in Germany and it was change your physical presence and change your state. And I'm curious to know because this is sounds more like change your feeling, kind of like be in dialogue with the self versus like, oh, I'm going to stand here like a Superman and take this powerful pose on. And then after yeah. doing, because, you know, and I, I did notice some change when I was trying out. I've oh, it been, works. Right. Yeah. No, no, those things definitely work. Like leaning into the balls of your feet, it, it, it recharge, it charges up that sort of norepinephrine system in your brain so when you lean forward when you lean into your fear when you lean into what what scares you your brain will create chemicals that support you in that sort of warrior stance but if you fall back on your heels if you start being like how am i going to do in this game it's a championship game what if i miss my free throws like all this kind of stuff like when you go back on your heels, your brain will also give me give you chemicals oh. that support the fear, right? So whatever it's that that old Henry Ford saying, where you think you can and you can't, mm -hmm. you're right. So your brain will support you if you lean in. If you see someone across the room that you'd like to talk to that you're interested in, and if you actually get on the balls of your feet and go over there and say something to them, your brain will support you in that. 
But if you go on your heels and you go, oh, she probably won't like me, you know, maybe I'm too tall, maybe I'm too good looking, you know, like, like as far as you go, you know, <laughs> it's like it. that kind of stuff, you know, it comes into your mind. So <laughs> you just kind of have to, to realize that if you, if you go at what scares you, your brain will support you, even if you're anxious, like even if, especially if you're anxious, mm -hmm. but most people, most of us, and I did live like this for years and years went on our heels and found different coping strategies. Like one of my coping strategies was becoming a doctor. So it was one of those no, things. Really? That, yeah. I, I think, you know, because when I was younger, my my brother had orthopedic issues when he was born. He, he actually became a really good athlete in his teens and stuff, but he had club feet when he was born. And my dad was schizophrenic. So a lot of my mother's energy went into my brother and my father. Sure. So I kind of made my needs small. So there's part of me that loves being seen, loves being on podcasts, loves, you know, doing interviews and that kind of stuff. And there's another part of me that's deathly afraid of it because I'm not mm -hmm. used to it. I'm not used to the attention. I crave the attention, but I don't want it at the same time. So it's really important to understand, like, what are your patterns? Like, how, how does this anxiety show up with you? How do you get on your heels is basically what I tell people. How do you get on your heels? But most importantly, as we sort of started talking, it's finding this alarm in your body. Most of us attribute the anxiety to our mind and we stay in our mind and we never actually go down into our body and say, where do I actually feel this? You know, when I'm, before I'm going to go out and give a talk, like, where do I feel this? You know, I did stand up for 10 years and before I would go on stage, I would have this pressure above my uh above my solar plexus now my anxiety where's your solar plexus sorry it's it's right where your ribs meet in the center of your chest okay like right here yeah, yeah. okay so so that's where my anxiety sits but my my excitement about going on stage doing stand-up is higher than that so different places in your body can reflect a different traumas or different phases of anxiety like public speaking i love public speaking but it creates this anxiety, but it's not the same anxiety as the pain that I experienced when I was a child. So there's different characteristics. So it's looking, truly looking into your body for the source of this, because that is the reflection that we can use to kind of reverse engineer and change these programs that are stored in our brain and our mind. Mm -hmm. So your mind and your brain are different. You know, people think their mind and their brain are the same. So the mind uses the brain to create itself, right? So one of those things that might get a little philosophical for for <laughs> uh, you and your audience, but that's that's what the mind does. The mind uses the brain to create itself. Now, like I said, if you grow up in a secure, attached environment, you will learn that life is about connection and you will likely not have a lot of emotional or physical dysregulation. But if you grow up with trauma and it doesn't have to be big, it doesn't have to be huge trauma either. You know, we are, a lot of us anxious people are born sensitive. I know you're sensitive. I know I am too. So when you're sensitive, things that would bother, not bother most people really can trigger our old activation, our old alarm in our body. And then when our body gets alarmed, our thoughts just mirror what's in our body through this process called interoception. So your mind is always reading your body. So if you get worried before a big game, you know, you're, you're, your stomach starts to tense up, that kind of thing. Your mind reads that and starts mm -hmm. giving you all these things like, mm -hmm. oh, what if I miss the free throws? What if I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, what if I'm not inbounding the ball right? Like all this kind of stuff. Like it's just your mind is just kind of after the fact almost making up reasons. Reasons. why, And it's, and it's not even accurate. But because we made them up, we made those reasons up. We believe them because they came, we, we perceive that they came from us. So I'm telling people, hey, look towards your body 
as opposed to your mind. Your mind will, will lie to you constantly, but your body never can. It's interesting because um, the circulature that I feel in, in those moments is is different depending on the situation too. But I'm curious to know what I'm doing in this situation. So I'm, I, I've done something recently I've found and my anxiety just disappears. Mm. So I was, I was playing basketball. I told this in the very first podcast where I'll tell this one. I was about to play against two NBA players. One of them is Michael Porter Jr. Just won an NBA championship. And then Isaiah Thomas in front of a lot of people in the Northwest. Brandon Roy was in the, was in the crowd at one point. I don't know if he was there, but I was like, it's my idol. Gilbert Arenas, a bunch of big NBA players. And I was walking around and I, my bugaboo was, I want to be cool. And so I was walking around and people knew me a little bit. And I was like, and I started to listen to this old Christian song that really brings me back. And I was really trying, I was praying and I was talking, I was in tune with myself and I was trying to calm myself down. And um, I had this moment where I, I try to pay attention to what's going on inside of me. And as I was praying, I, I felt God say, you can be cool or you can be with me. You can't have both. Right. And I was like, okay, I choose you. And I felt like I can, I can picture. So when you say hot, cold, sharp, whatever, you know, I picture basically my soul being like, okay, I give up. And I, and when I see it and I attune to it, I, I make the same face. I attune my body the exact same way of like, okay, yeah, I feel it. And then I take this, I feel my body breathe. I feel my body breathe before I take a breath. Okay. And then my whole system just went when I get chills, when I talk about it, because I went out and had was the high score. I had 17 points and held Michael Porter jr. To four points. Like, and, well and the, 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 it was just this out of, it felt like an out of body experience, but maybe I was out of my mind and wasn't, it yeah, was you were in your body. Yeah. I was in, it was in my body experience. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so as people are, are getting into these new situations, cause you know, someone can be like, okay, uh, when I get on speaking, I know that I need to be on my toes because I need to be ready for it. But a lot of times our trigger is just going to happen out of nowhere in the middle of a, a, a relationship or in the middle of a dinner or in yeah. the middle of something. So how do you help people cue themselves and be in tune with themselves? Because for me, I'm like, okay, I want you to give that soul a picture in that moment. Be like, okay, what am I really, what am I really feeling? Because for me, when I, when I see it, when I see if I was in the pot doing podcasting voice and I pictured my internal self right now, I'd be like, okay, I got this, Ooh, this, this, and well, make sure you sound professional, Jeremy. And I attuned to that. I'm like, oh. I relax because I know what to be aware of to, and what I'm vulnerable of. And I know where my starting point actually is versus being like, good, how are you doing everybody? And I'm going to be yeah. here on this podcast. So like seeing myself clearly is how I relax, no matter what the situation is. And so for those that don't necessarily, um, instead of just being like, okay, I notice I'm on my heels. Oh, I'm on my heels. Okay. Uh, now what, you know, how do you teach people if in a new situation, if they can't talk to you and they're working on their own to, to work through that? Well, I think it really comes down to practice. Mm -hmm. Like if now I, I use this analogy with people all the time, but I don't think I've ever used it on a, on a pro basketball player before, but if I said to you, this is what I say to everybody else. I said, look, um, December the 1st, I'm going to take you to the, you know, the park and I'm going to get you to shoot 10 free throws. And if you make three of them, I'm going to give you $20 million. Now I've never said this to a basketball <laughs> player before. So it's, I say this to the like people who aren't basketball players. And I said, would you start practicing free throws like the day before? 
No, you'd start practicing every single day. So it's really important with your anxiety or your alarm to deal with it every day and metabolize it every day. Because if you wait until you get into that big game or you wait until you get into that fight with your partner, you wait, you're, you're not going to have the resources there because you haven't practiced it. So that's kind of the, the analogy that I draw is like you have to learn how this anxiety, this alarm feels in your body, acclimatize to it. And mom, probably this is the most important point. This is the most important point. That alarm is the child in you. So can you see that child with compassion, with love? Because mm. you've been judging, abandoning, blaming, and shaming that child for mm. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. It's not going to happen easily and it's not going to happen quickly. And both of you, meaning your adult self and your child self are going to resist. The child resists because it doesn't know if it can trust you because you've abandoned it for decades. Mm. And and the adult in us doesn't want to go back to the child because that's where our pain is. Mm. But until we go back to that child, until we allow that child to to be present and show them that they're they're loved, protected, and secure, they're always going to flare up our alarm. So it's finding the alarm, which is basically finding it in your body which is your younger self. So this, this alarm in my solar plexus, when I put my hand in it, that is my 10 year old self. And I have to really see my 10 year old self. And sometimes I'll tell people, do you have a picture of yourself when you're going through that? Do you have a picture of yourself when your dad first got, got hurt? You know, can you go back? Can you see that child in the picture and in you and connect with them, see them, hear them, love them, protect them, like show them that they're seen, heard, loved and protected. Mm. And then when you do that, that's when you start real healing. You know, the Tony Robbins stuff, like leaning on your the balls of your feet, taking a, you know, Superman pose or whatever, it does help you neurologically, but it doesn't really do much for the underlying wound, which is that child that's still in you. So you have to find that child and you can do that through your body. You can do that through interoception and show them that they're okay. And until you do that, you're always going to be on medication. You're always going to be doing something to kind of, you know, breathing techniques, all these things that I see on the internet about, you know, how to deal with your anxiety. They're all just band-aids. They're not mm -hmm. really dealing with the root cause. They're just showing you how to deal with the anxiety in the moment. So if you deal with the root cause, if you actually look at finding that child in you, showing them they are seen, heard, loved, and protected, that actually heals you instead of just putting a band-aid on it and making you feel better in the moment with some breathing techniques or the physiological side or whatever you do in the moment to help you. There's nothing wrong with those techniques, mm -hmm. but it, it almost dangles you over the gates of hell in that when you're feeling your anxiety, if, if you can you know help yourself in the short term, you don't feel any real need to go back into the, into the child because it's painful and it takes work. So we can do breathing techniques for the rest of our lives and make ourselves feel better in the short term, but we're never going to heal. We're never going to have that peace. And I think that is, um, that's so amazing. I, I really hope everyone heard that. And I think when I, I want to take even a, a personal step and just tell people like when I was seeing myself on the court in certain times, I'm not seeing, like, and I'm going back to that, that little picture that I was visioning, that soul, it really is a child. And attunement was the word I was using on the first yeah. podcast is, and kind of like I said, if I, okay, and I feel my body 
give in to that exact same sensation and that exact same picture that I feel that child self wearing, I'm attuning mm-hmm. to him and he feels that he can trust me. But that doesn't mean it's positive. It doesn't mean I'm like, oh, I'm confident because as an athlete, we're tired. Like, oh, no, I'm confident. I got this. I got this. I got this. And my child's like, do we? Like, yeah. I feel like crap. I didn't sleep well last night. And it's given yeah. me all these reasons. Like, and when I finally look at him and I'm just, when I look at him, when I see him and I'm like, dude, I'm embarrassed. We missed two shots. We airballed one of them on the last one. Now we're about to go play against the NBA players. I'd want to go and I want to go and hide. And what's so amazing, that's what this part of the story I told is I was like, okay, let's go hide together. Like, it's like I played this game where I like, I pictured myself, my adult self running and hiding with them and just been like, all right, now what? Like looking around, like kind of being like, hey, I'm right here. We're safe. We're exactly. And it's like, he started to trust me more. And my therapist and I were talking about, it's like integration. And it's just, it's such a beautiful process, but it doesn't mean it's positive at first. Like in it's, fact, it's it's not. You know, <laughs> in fact, it's all it's almost always painful to go back and visit that child. Almost always, it's painful. It's it, we don't go back typically because our brains are designed for survival. They're not designed for pleasure, uh, in the long term. So what happens is that we are so fixated on our survival that that is is the overwhelming influence in our lives, and you know when we go back and see that child, they're in survival and it hurts. So for the first, you know, 50, 100, 200 times that you go back and visit that child, it probably will be painful. But knowing that, you know, and knowing that you're the adult now, that's the other thing about the, the amygdala and the fear response is the amygdala has no sense of time. So when we get alarmed, we get transported back into that same place that we were, you know, as a five, 10, 12 year old. So with all the wherewithal of a five, 10, 12, year old, which isn't a lot. So we have to be, take the adult role and see that we actually have a lot more control over the situation now than we ever did back then. And the thing about the amygdala having no sense of time is it takes us back to that place that we felt helpless and powerless. So we feel helpless. We feel actually feel helpless and powerless because that child is taking us over at that point. And then we have to sort of practice that, Hey, bring yourself into the present moment. You know, this is me now. Like I'm, you know, my business is doing really well. My physically I'm doing really well as far as, you know, getting to the gym every day and, and, and working out, you know, things are actually going really well. So it's like, bring that child along because they don't know. Like the child in me for a long time didn't know that I was a successful doctor or author or whatever, <laughs> right. right? So you have to bring them up. You have to show them that they're still locked in a place in time, mm-hmm. literally. Literally. And you have to show them that they're not, you're not there anymore. Like yep. you are not that helpless, powerless child anymore. You have a lot of agency now that you never had as a child. And you have to realize that at a deep visceral level that you are not back there anymore. I, my therapist and I, when we found, I was literally still standing next to the bed. Yeah. Like I, w- I was basically in a coma. He was in a coma and so was I. Yeah. And in my kid, my child felt so abandoned and I felt, and what's cool is over time, if it takes me, if it took me three days sometimes to come out of a funk or a week to come out of a funk back in the day, you know, now if I feel something, I can stop, tune in, really take a breath and I can see it. I can feel it. And it, you know, it happens really quick. 
in, yeah. in big moments when I really need it to happen. So as you're saying, first 50 times, 100 times, yeah. whatever, there is an in process as your body start and your child starts to be like, oh, hey, all right, we're back on the same page. And that, that's when I say, just like in the book, The Alchemist, at some point, your heart stops speaking. In this case, you're getting closer and closer back to your original true self that you were designed for. And now it's like, oh, I don't have to worry about even what this is thinking because I know this and this is going to operate in that manner. And then I go to bed and I sleep. Yeah. I sleep. And, and that's so practice. It's practice. It's dealing with that child over and over and over again and showing them over and over and over again, maybe <laughs> 100, 200, 1,000 times that they are actually safe. Right. And it's not going to work every time. There's some times where Truth. you're just going to be completely overwhelmed. And you're just going to have to realize that that's temporary. It's not always going to be like this. There is something in neuroscience that we call the recency bias, which is unfortunately the reason people kill themselves is they feel that the way they feel right now is the way they're going to feel forever. Mm. So if you look at teenagers, when they their boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with them, they feel like that pain is going to last forever. So some of them actually take their own lives because they don't see there's a way out. The, the brain doesn't allow you to see this is temporary. So it's really important to understand that this feeling that you have is temporary and you actually can do something about it by going back, finding that alarm in your body and treating it as if it's your younger self because it is. It is. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. are here. It is here. We are all here. Uh, we only have about five minutes left. And sure. again, I'm just so thankful for this. this is it, 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 We did really fall right back into it. I knew we would. So oh, this yeah. is cool. Um, I think what I want to do with the last five minutes is uh, to maybe talk about a little bit about your MBRX course and the things that sure. you've done. Uh, I was curious personally, originally, like some things that happened in the medical field for you because you were a medical doctor. And what I think what I would say is this will be curious if this was the case. You can just say yes or no, was um, you changed from the medical field because you would see people for you know five minutes, 10 minutes, a little checkup. And you were seeing the emotional, spiritual, mental, anxietal problems they were having and then being like, I don't have the time to go through what you need to go through to have these medical problems go away. Yeah. So true or false? That's absolutely true. So it, it just became a crisis of conscience for me because, and I wasn't actually really aware of it at the time. I just knew that what I was doing was just putting a band-aid, like giving people, you know, Nexium for their reflux, their gastroesophageal reflux, their heartburn. You know, I, I remember one of my colleagues, one of my, colleagues and one of my friends in stand-up that we used to tour together um he used to smoke and the thing about smoking is it relaxes the the top part of the stomach so acid now washes up into your esophagus uh and it burns so he said can you give me i gave him some samples of this stuff and it really helped him and he and i said well let me get this straight you want me to give you this medication so you can keep smoking <laughs> and he said yeah so it's like okay you know at least you're aware of it Right. So sure. I think it's just understanding. So so what I do in MBRX, which is basically short for your mind body prescription for permanent anxiety healing. That's what it is. So it, it connects your mind and your body. It shows you what anxiety truly is, which is this, this alarm state in your body. It really isn't your mind. So you can do all like I said, you can do all the psychotherapy that you want. But because the problem isn't actually in your mind, it's in the subcortical structures of your brain. We have to change those subcortical structures through a feeling process. So one of the processes that I take people through in this in this course, in this online course, is 
how to find the alarm in your body, like how to zero in on it, how to put your hand over it, how to connect with it. And there's a, a yoga nidra in that as well. And then it, it relaxes your entire body. It allows you to access that younger version of yourself. And then when you access that younger version of yourself, yeah, it's painful. But it's the only true path to actually getting out of the cave. You know, otherwise you're just, you know, circling yourself around in the cave and you'll never get out. So the book, Anxiety Rx, is kind of like the Bi the Bible of anxiety these days. <laughs> is that it just shows you where all where the anxiety comes from inability to receive all this kind of stuff how your ego your overprotective ego creates all these stories that tell you that you're not safe because you're you don't feel safe so your mind which is just a meaning making make sense machine reads this alarm in your body and and makes up stories that are completely consistent with the alarm which we call worries the worries aren't the problem the old alarm that's stored in your body is the problem. And that's what we have to treat. So that's what MBRX and that's what the book is about. And that's really my life's work is just showing people that, you know, yeah, psychotherapy is helpful. You know, we have to have a cognitive explanation for what happened to us, but that's only maybe a quarter of the problem. Most of the problem is this old trauma that you're holding in your body that's still reflecting through your mind. And then you're attributing the, the source of that to your mind when it's actually something that's locked in your body. It's locked in the subcortical structures of your mind and your brain. And that's how you fix it. You fix a feeling with a feeling. You can't fix a, a feeling with a thinking. So that's what the, the course and the, and the book is all about. It's just, and my life's work is really showing people, this is how you heal. This isn't just how you cope with it. Coping is great. You know, it's helpful. But it also, like I said, dangles you over the gates of hell because you're always using coping strategies. You're mm -hmm. never actually healing the underlying cause of the problem. Well, and that's probably when the coping strategies only go so far. And if you get too overwhelmed and there's totally. four triggers at once, shut down. You can't, totally. can't hide from four at once. So Exactly. Uh, this has meant the world to me. Again, we've been, uh, it's been fun to be your friend. It's been fun to help people together. You know, that's something that's my life's mission as well. As I said, yeah. in the beginning of the podcast is that people can learn how to be seen in their own way that makes sense to them. So uh, best place to follow you on Instagram. Uh, just, just uh, Instagram is probably at the anxiety MD. If you Google the anxiety MD, not the anxiety doctor, but the anxiety MD, you'll find all my stuff. Awesome. Well, we'll go ahead and leave it right there. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Dr. Russ. Cool, man. Okay. Man, we really did, we did pretty well. Yeah, I, I have to so hop too. back on a call real quick. Yep. Yep. Or no maybe it just ends. It's probably gonna cut, it's probably gonna cut us off, but that was great. That was great. So let me know when it airs and that kind of stuff, and I'll post a little thing on my Instagram as well. I love it, man. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, my guest will be next, not this. Hey guys, just one more note before I leave you be for the day, unless you go listen to another podcast, which I encourage you to give it some time, by the way. You know, in between podcasts, I encourage you to give some breathing room to let everything sink in that you just heard. You know, don't don't just be a connoisseur, you know, don't go from one thing to the next. Give yourself a couple hours in between, give yourself a small break. Just kind of decompose and decompress, you know, everything that you just heard. But I want to give a, just a big shout out to my friend, uh, Dr. Russ, for being on this podcast with me uh, and taking some time out of his vacation to do so. And I can't endorse him enough. You know, and I very rarely endorse anybody because it's really important. You know, it's for, that is, that is my word that I'm telling you know, my listeners and the people that follow me and the people that are in my circle. And 
I have worked personally with Dr. Russ and seen uh, the way he works for my life. And then I've also seen him work with countless people and how intuitive he is and how he's been through it himself. You know, and just like I say, as far as I'm concerned, what I'm trying to do is being an influence for others is I've been through it and I know I can help. And he's someone that has been through it, is still in it and can help. And so it's, it's just, it's just truly remarkable the things that he does. And I'm just so grateful for him. so grateful for his friendship, but please go check his work out. Uh, everything's going to be in the notes and I think you'll really enjoy it. So also go check out, um, and leave a review of however many stars you want to leave or whatever, you know, all that stuff. That stuff's not super important to me, but unfortunately has to be done in order to uh, push it out for the algorithm. So please do that if, if I ever give any value to you. Uh, and if you have anyone else that you'd like to nominate to be on the podcast, um, just have them connect with me because I want to have a conversation with them before we do so. All right. All the best. Hope you guys have a wonderful day wherever you are.